Welcome to the podcast from Eden Worship Center. Because we believe that it is God's Word that does God's work in God's people, we want you to hear the gospel preached in the gathering of believers. We want you to read it for yourself and to join us as we think together and talk together about the sermon from this past week and what's going on in our world. You can join the conversation by sending in your comments and questions to EdenWC at Hotmail.com. May God cause His Word to come alive in your heart today. Well, hey everybody, welcome to the Midweek Podcast. Pastor Matt here. And Pastor John. And we have a special guest again this week. We're pulling in some guys from School of Ministry. Uh, I shouldn't say just guys, maybe guys and ladies, because we have men and women going through School of Ministry, Uh, but trying to give them an opportunity to be involved in different things. So... Seth Detweiler. Seth Detweiler. Seth, tell us about yourself. What do you do? Well, I work in the RV industry. Uh, Glorious. Yeah. Glorious. Yeah. If you've never worked in an RV industry, it's it's real close to being in heaven. Just Yeah, very similar. At least it makes you wish <laughs> that you were in heaven. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, uh, I don't know. Tell us about yourself. What, what do people need to know if they don't know Seth Detweiler? Um... Well, I would say that when I was 18 years old is when I became a Christian. So God took a lot of my specific giftings and artistic talents and started using them for his kingdom. Um, I've really enjoyed working in the RV uh, industry because it's allowed me to have so much free time to kind of reposition after using school and college for myself selfishly after kind of realizing that this life's more than just about me sure seeing that god had other plans for our life than just selfish pursuits and pleasures mm. it kind of allowed me to reposition all the all the free time into how to serve god efficiently in my life and pursue him in a way that both my career and giftings can glorify him and I'm just starting to transition into seeing the fruition of some of those things right now, on. now at 25. Yeah. So. <laughs> hey, but would you describe yourself as the type of kid who everybody knew you were going to grow up to be a Christian? Just really solid? No. Got your head on straight? No. Maybe no. from the family I was from. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if you just judged by family. Yeah. I, I remember a couple uh, chats we had while you were a young teenager. Yeah. It was like, Seth. Come to Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, good news, by the way. Uh, Jesus comes to us. Yeah, he does. Like, isn't that just fantastic? That mm-hmm. as screwed up as sometimes we are as young people. I know I w- Pastor John was perfect when he was younger. Very, yeah. very saint-like. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, but the rest of us, I'm so glad that it's not just about me coming to mm-hmm. Jesus, but that he comes looking for us, yep. pursues and overtakes us. Like, it's just a beautiful truth. Yeah. Yep, I was definitely presented with truth my whole life, and it wasn't until God had gifted me with conviction, which led to repentance, that I, I truly was like, "This is yeah. this is true. Yep, this is what's good, and I'm in sin." Good, so. good. Your wife would say, "Yeah, you're in sin. Yeah, fix it. <laughs> Do something. <laughs> Do something about it." <laughs> All right, so. Uh, this past week, we were looking at our discipleship message. Uh, we've set aside the last Sunday of the month in case you're 
it's almost inconceivable that someone would be listening to this podcast who's not a member of our church, but I guess it's possible. It's possible. So we've set the last Sunday of the month aside every month to talk about discipleship with this idea of Jesus' command to his disciples, not to be church attenders, not to build big churches, but to follow him. Come and follow me. So mm -hmm. uh, looking at that from different aspects, this week specifically from John 17, and we're not going to go through the whole thing, uh, but John 17, verse 14 through 17 says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So we find Jesus' high priestly prayer on behalf of all of God's people, on behalf of those whom uh, God would call to himself. And as he prays for his own, he links two things together here, which is kind of where I want us to start, where he's talking about God's word is truth. The, mm -hmm. the truth of God, uh, that which God has breathed out towards his people, revealed to them of who he is, of who they are, of how the world works. And, and we find that contained in the scriptures today. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's the only uh, pure revelation that we have. Anytime somebody says, well, God spoke to me, uh, we should be a little mm -hmm. bit distrustful of what's about to come out of their mouth. Yes. Uh, the, the Old Testament standard for prophecy, God spoke to me, is pretty high. Mm -hmm. uh, and the New Testament carries over from the Old Testament, but then it, it changes and it, it yes. gets uh, assigned into Scripture. So Jesus pairs together this idea of I've given them the truth, I've given them your word with the world hates them. So mm -hmm. I've given them your word, uh, speaking to God the Father, and the world hates them. Uh, why do you think he does that? Well, like, what's the connection between those two? What, what's the reason that God's word causes this world to hate those who belong to Jesus? And by the way, uh, Seth, it'd probably be good if you talked about that close to your mic so people can hear you. The further back you get, the more you'll get invisible back into the cave. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so guys, what, what do you think? What is this connection between the word of God and the world's hatred? I think maybe the the thing that stands out the most about that is the world hates truth that they don't get to define. Uh, that's a good point. Uh, when, when God defines the truth, one of my favorite statements is truth is not an opinion and the world loves their own opinions. Yeah. Uh, and so when you tell them, well, your opinion is great and you're entitled to it as is everybody. But if it contradicts the word of God, your opinion is wrong <laughs> because God's word is truth. And, yeah. uh, I understand they don't like that. I don't like it either. Yeah. But what I like doesn't matter when it comes to truth. Truth is truth. Good. We just talked last night in the uh, School of Ministry meeting about, um, and we won't mention it, the name on the podcast, but a <laughs> uh, Bible study association that's interdenominational. And one of the cardinal rules that they have so that they can keep crossing across denominational lines is you're not allowed to ever correct anyone or tell them that they're wrong on their biblical interpretation. Oy. Yeah. And literally, it, we would never apply that to any other area of life, right? <laughs> like driving an automobile where life and death is at stake. Well, we're never allowed to tell them 
that they're doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. Even if it's putting themselves or somebody else in danger, well, you know, you can't. Well, then look at how we drive and good Christians who love Jesus and love their brothers and sisters and then engage in road rage (laughs) and uh, senseless yelling. Like, have you ever been in a car and you yelled at the person in front of you knowing they can't hear you? And all that mm-hmm. happens is you look like an insane person <laughs> in the cab of your car, right? That's yeah. it. That's the, yes. the sum total of it. But we have a built-in, there's a right way and a wrong way to do it, and I have to communicate it. If we build our unity, which is one of the things we talked about on Sunday, mm-hmm. we've attempted to build unity in the church, which is what that group is doing, without first being sanctified by the truth of God's word. Mm-hmm. And if we do that, yes. the church ceases to be the church and becomes an idolatrous social club. Mm-hmm. Yep. And there are a whole bunch of churches who have done that. They have jettisoned God's word and they've just become an idolatrous social club uh, and their lives are bearing it out. Those mm-hmm. churches are crumbling and falling as they strive to keep pace with the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting how he talks about sanctify them in the truth, which you hit this in your sermon that it means to be set apart. Uh, but he's saying set them apart in your truth, but don't set them away from the world. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's almost like one of those paradoxes of the Christian faith where we're set apart, but we're not set away from, uh, but that set apart is so utterly important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, the world, the world hates truth because it reminds them of God. It shows the truth shows the world God's character and therefore convicts them of their sin. And shows them their guilt. Yeah. Yeah. So they're definitely going to hate God's word and his truth and us who are then sanctified in it. Yeah. Because absolutely. of those things. Absolutely. I, and nobody, uh, so sinner or saint, likes to be called out on their sin. Yeah. No. No, at least in the moment. I don't. Right. I, yeah. <laughs> absolutely not. We Now, I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful absolutely. to have brothers in Christ. I'm grateful to have a godly wife who periodically, uh, <laughs> calls me out on whatever it is. But in the moment, like nobody's like, Oh, this is awesome. Thank you, Jesus for this, yeah. this gift of sanctification. Uh, we hate it. So it, we shouldn't be yeah. surprised that those minus the Holy spirit, uh, which is, uh, the ambassador of God's kindness that leads us to repentance, mm-hmm. that they would not only respond badly, but permanently, eternally badly towards God's correction. Yes. They hate it. And especially when you consider the world's version of truth is something that is in constant flux. Uh, it's interesting, like, not to, to go into to politics and to go off on that. Uh, but, you know, the recession, and now all of a sudden they're redefining what the word recession means. Uh, and oh, I just saw that. Yeah. That awesome. uh, and how they, they're, now they're redefining what, a tax is uh, because, oh, we're not going to raise taxes. Well, that's not a tax. That's something else. And that's a gift to the government. <laughs> it's a gift to the government. We're so generous. Yeah. <laughs> Compelled gifting. Hey, we should try that sometime. Yeah, that, uh, that's awesome. But uh, yeah, the, the world's version of truth is always changing, which means you, you never really know where you stand. Uh, and one thing I love about the actual truth, God's truth, is that it is constant. It, it never changes. And so we never have to worry about where do we stand with God? Where yeah. do we stand in our walk? 
Uh, and I feel bad for the people who don't have that grasp of truth. They don't know what they're missing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the stability and security that comes in knowing this is the truth. Yeah. So maybe let's, let's think a little bit, like what's the difference between the world's truth and when a Christian uses the word truth, like what, Mm. what's the distinction in there? Uh, How are they thinking differently? And I think this is important as Christians who have truth to share. If we're not aware that they're hearing this uh, through a different filter, Mm -hmm. well, we're just, it doesn't make any sense to us why they're not listening. Don't want any part of it. Yeah. Pontius Pilate said it best. What is truth Mm -hmm. without God? Yeah. So. It's not a bad question. Yeah. Can be answered badly. Yeah. But not a bad question. And the same thing continues like into our day. That was 2000 years ago. Yeah. And yeah. the same thing is happening today as people are going, well, you have your truth. I have my truth. Like, mm-hmm. how do you know what's really true? Whether it's people who lie to you all the time or everybody sees things from a different perspective, uh, the pluralistic view that each one of us has a part of the truth. Mm-hmm. And yet none of us have all of the truth that mm-hmm. that's pluralism. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love the the one quote that I had by Francis Schaeffer on Sunday. I thought it was super cool that Francis Schaeffer said it at Notre Dame, which is like 45 minutes from here. Kind of mm-hmm. nifty. Uh, but that what Christianity, Christianity offers is not a series of truths. It's truth with a capital T. Yeah. Yes. It, it is total universal, unchanging, applicable to everyone in every place and every time truth capital T mm-hmm. no wonder like I don't even know if you could say that at Notre Dame today <laughs> you'd probably yes. get booed off the campus mm-hmm. canceled canceled yeah, yeah. cancel would. Francis Schaefer one thing that I've always found kind of humorous is you know the the old uh, fable from India about the three blind Indian men who were each feeling parts of an elephant and one of them felt the trunk and said oh it's like a snake one felt his leg and said oh it's it's an elephant's like a tree and the other felt his tail and said oh an elephant is like a vine and the the point of the story is that we each have our own perspective of the truth (laughs) what cracks me up about that story that most people don't think about is this all three of them were wrong. Yeah. yeah. They were it all was an wrong. Elephant. It's an elephant. It was not a tree. It's <laughs> or, an elephant. It's an elephant. Not a stake or a rope. Mm-hmm. If you, if we all have our own part of the truth or our own perspective, our own version, that means none of us actually have the truth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wait, it's so awesome connection to that. These three blind people stand there. Well, second Corinthians four, four says the God of the world has blinded the minds of unbelievers Mm -hmm. that they can't see the glory of Christ in the gospel. Like they're, they're blinded to it. And when God removes that, we're like, it's an elephant. (laughs) It's an elephant. I was (laughs) way off, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That passage in second Corinthians in two, where it talks about how it's the, the spirit of a man that knows the thoughts of a man and it's the spirit of God that reveals to us the thoughts of God um, through the word of God. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is, truth is not discovered, truth is revealed. Uh, and so I, I know that the only reason I know it's an elephant, uh, what you just said, yeah. is because of the grace of God. Yeah. It's not because I'm like, I'm smarter than you. I know it's an elephant. Right. It, God, God took the grace. blinders off. Yep. 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 I, I think if we forget that for even one second, whether it is trying to share truth of the gospel with people or just live out the Christian life in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, 
we're going to be angry and frustrated mm -hmm. and it's going to lead to some of the other stuff we're going to talk about of Christians wanting to withdraw from culture because we can't understand how somebody would think like this. Mm -hmm. And we have to constantly be saying they are blinded. Therefore we are begging God, God, remove the blinders, mm -hmm. open their eyes to see. Yeah. And that analogy that you said about the elephant, that's exactly why it says right here, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So searching for truth outside of ourselves, especially outside of God, it doesn't work when in our sin we are constantly looking for truth that isn't God. Yeah. It's not mm -hmm. until he puts his truth in us yeah. that we have joy, exceeding joy, um, in truth that lasts. Right. And not truth that is veiled by this age and world. Yeah, absolutely. And it is an interesting phrase that you read there that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's Christ's joy fulfilled in us. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. That's, yeah. As opposed to your best life now. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I, I mean, I say yes. that tongue in cheek, but really, you look at how most of the modern American church and the modern American church is our number one export to the world. Mm hmm. Unfortunately, yes. anyways, you look at how they approach I someone. Didn't realize that. Oh, it's terrible. I mean, you mm -hmm. look at at churches across the world as America and the American gospel has become uh, the main evangelistic exporter, mm -hmm. and our influence across the world is abysmal. It is terrible. Mm -hmm. uh, exporting word of faith theology to like Africa. Yeah. You know, telling starving families that their kids are, are dying because they don't have enough faith. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whoa. That makes me want to punch somebody. No. Yes. I'll just be honest. That's why I had you sit next to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it could get dangerous. <laughs> oh, it's just awful. Anyways, so uh, I always think it, the test is if you can't apply this to a starving family in Africa, you can't apply it anywhere else either. Yes. It, you know, if it just doesn't work there, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, or apply it to the first century Christians who were martyred for their faith and joyfully went to their death, singing mm -hmm. and declaring the praises and greatness of God. No, it just doesn't work. Yep. Yeah. Anyways, yep. okay, all that aside, <laughs> uh, if what we are exporting to the world and even to ourselves is some twisted me first version of the gospel. That's all about me living my best life now, but it starts with, uh, I'm looking for happiness. I'm looking for joy. And there's a lot of churches that have basically engineered who they are and what they do based on this. People are coming in, they're looking for their best life. They're, they're dissatisfied with their life. Now they're looking for a better life. We want to help them find a way to live that better life. Mm-hmm. Well, if we do that, we're, we're going to set our services up in a certain way. Everything becomes really attractional. It's fun. It's engaging. Don't do anything to put them off at all. Don't Certainly don't mention sin or repentance. Yeah. That, this is the whole uh, seeker-sensitive thing that really broke out yeah. uh, in the late 80s and early 90s. Mm -hmm. And I think what we do is we set people up to have a Christian life, like the verse you read, Seth, that is full of joy. Yep that doesn't last yep. and happiness that doesn't last and marriages that don't last and families that don't last mm -hmm. rather than beginning in the place where scripture is going to say, there's no one who seeks after God, mm -hmm. that there's no one righteous. 
Uh, it is only those whom God has pursued, and he's the one who pulls off the blinders, reveals himself. It, he's the one who is revealing truth to us, even though it doesn't give us our best <laughs> life now. The world hates us. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Yes. Yeah. But his joy is completed in you. It's not even your joy. It's his, his joy, joy being put in you. Yeah. That's yeah. totally different. Yeah. Restoring to me the joy of your salvation. Yeah. I, yeah. That American gospel sucks, but the documentary is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, there is a documentary yes. called the American gospel. If yes. you haven't seen it, uh, really strongly mm -hmm. encourage it. Um, really yep. Benny Hinn's nephew is actually the guy who did it. Oh yeah. Uh, Costi. Costi. Yeah. Uh, who is a fantastic reform pastor and preacher and just has, he has an inside glimpse into what it looks like to be part of this whole word of faith movement. Mm -hmm. And, um, anyways, he, he does, he does a brilliant job. It's, it's really yeah. good. Well, it's interesting here in speaking of the word and truth and where the American church has veered off to, yeah, my best life now. Uh, I was talking with some men recently about how, how we use the Bible and what we expect from the Bible. And, Back in John 5, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he's saying, you search the scriptures uh, because you think that in them you have life, but it is these that bear witness of me. Yeah. Uh, but yet you do not come to me. And that uh, a lot of people think, well, the Bible is, God gave us the Bible to give us instructions on how to live, or he gave us the Bible so we know how much he loves us. Or, And some of those, those true. things are true. Secondary. Secondary. Yeah. The, the primary purpose of Scripture is to point us to Jesus, yeah. including the Old Testament. Old Testament, New Testament, yeah. everything. Because that's, that's what Jesus was referring to. The New Testament wasn't around yet. Um, Book so, of Genesis, point you to Jesus. Jesus. Book of Revelation, point you to Jesus. One forward, one backward, and all of them forward and backward all at the same time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think when we, we started getting Bible teachers who were like, hey, let's, let's look in the Bible and see how it applies to you. Yeah. Instead of first saying, let's look at the Bible and see what it tells us about Jesus. Yeah. The application to the individual believer has to be the tag on the end. Mm -hmm. uh, what we've done is we've switched the order and made it all about you. And so people come to church, they sit under God's word, they sit under the preaching of God's word and come away going, well, this is all about me. As opposed to this is all about Jesus from start to finish, yeah. it, like this is His story mm -hmm. for His glory, not not just your good. Yes, mm -hmm. makes me think. I'm surprised we don't sing. It's all about me, oh, Jesus. Uh, we did uh, a few times in the '90s. <laughs> if you're old enough to remember that song, uh, "It's All About You," yeah. uh, I don't know how many times we would lead that, and somebody who's singing would get caught up in the moment, but they'd reverse. <laughs> The first line of the chorus was, it's all about you, Jesus. It's not about me. And it great thing, as if you should do things my way. Yeah. You alone are God, and I surrender. That's great. Except when we sing it, we'd accidentally Freudian slip. <laughs> reverse it. Freudian slip. It's yes. all about me. <laughs> yep. Just in case you didn't know that, Jesus, it's all about me. And it, how accurate for the church. Yeah. Like, yeah, we accidentally sang what we really believe. It's all about me. Yes. Hmm. It, but the church isn't the only danger in the world. Like Jesus seems to be saying here that this world actually is a scary, dangerous, unfriendly place to God's people, mm -hmm. to those who belong to Christ, who've been mm -hmm. ransomed by him to God. 
Uh, so much so that in his prayer, uh, it seems like the natural thing, it, it's an unspoken thing here, that because of the world's hatred for them, you would almost expect a good father to save them, remove them from the world. Mm. And mm. Jesus says, don't do that. I'm mm -hmm. not asking that you remove them from the world. That's the logical thing you would think in right. light of where things are at, uh, which I think is actually pretty close to our modern, and I say modern because it really didn't show up until the late 1800s, mm -hmm. uh, idea of rapture. Oh, that yeah. the world is so hopeful, hopelessly lost that Jesus is going to come and just sneak away all his people. And as he's sneaking away, uh, he's going to yell, we win, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> even though we lose. Right. Yeah. Um, that, that idea, that, that interpretation of the book of revelation didn't even show up until the, the mid to late 1800s. Mm -hmm. This is a brand yeah. new idea when it comes to eschatology, we should approach with caution, yes. by the way, yes. uh, yeah. just because you happen to read all of the left behind books does not mean that this is correct. Those aren't commentaries. <laughs> <laughs> no. the, uh, Oops. When we, when we started this podcast, Seth, I, yeah, we might as well tell you cause no one else noticed it. Uh, we were actually doing the book of revelation yeah. and then we set up several of the left behind books on the chairs behind us just in the background to see if anybody noticed. No one noticed. <laughs> They are wildly entertaining. The, the movies, yeah. terrible, right? Yeah, but the yes. books were wildly entertaining, and that's what they should be, entertainment. Yep. You know, that... Oh, anyways, uh, rather than leaning into some sort of escape mentality from the world, Jesus seems to say, no, in fact, leave them there. Mm -hmm. But the world isn't just the only dangerous character that he mentions, in fact, when he says, leave them there, the one thing he does pray is father, keep them, protect them from the evil one. Mm -hmm. So when he says the evil one, you know, thinking specifically about Satan, about the devil, which in the day and age in which we live, people send, seem to go to one extreme or another on that. There's no supernatural, there's no angels, there's no demons, there's no devil, uh, there's none of that. Or the other side where they're just obsessed with it. Yes. And it, you know, wh whether it's uh, a non-Christian who's just a spiritualist and really into angels, which cracks me up. If you're into angels, where'd they come from? Mm -hmm. Maybe just yeah. go ahead and look past them to the creator. <laughs> but <laughs> I, just interesting. Uh, but yeah. Christians, what we tend to do well, not we, but what other Christians have tended to do, I probably did in the past, was we obsess on the other side where we're constantly looking for demons. Yes. Everything's a demon. And I, I'm mm -hmm. going gonna, gonna to blame the demon. I'm going to cast out the demon. Uh, I'm constantly blaming Satan for everything that's going on. So mm -hmm. maybe what's a more balanced version of, if Jesus says the evil one is actually a problem for believers, mm -hmm. right, and prays that God would preserve them, keep them from the evil one. Mm-hmm. What is the role of the evil one in the world uh, in association with Christians? How should we rightly think about that? I uh, think Seth's got a call coming in because he's super important. <laughs> it must be an important he's call. Very popular. You can go ahead and take that, Seth. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let it. I'll let it pass. <laughs> uh, Ephesians two is uh, actually a, a pretty good book for that. 
Ephesians uh, is a pretty good book. Yeah, for, for everything, it's, it's, it's pretty good. It's like the quotes it's, at the beginning of a book when you buy it. Like uh, John Piper, oh, you should read this. At the beginning of Ephesians, I'm going to write in my Bible. John Mormon, it's a pretty good it's book. Pretty good book. <laughs> Once get past the first chapter, you know. Oh, that's fantastic. Do you also write commentaries? <laughs> They're really short, though. They're really short. It's a really it's good, a pretty book. good book. This one's okay. I, I think uh, <laughs> Martin Luther didn't, because of what he was going through, he hated the book of James mm. and called it a book of strawy fluff because it's going to wow. contrast the whole, like, uh, Proving your faith by your works. Yeah. Only he was in a, a time when uh, the Roman church was saying, your faith is your works. Yes. And so anything that kind of echoed of that, he's like, it, he yeah. argued that it shouldn't be included in the canon. Yeah. Yeah. And thankfully it was. In the early church, that was almost all of the New Testament was accepted by all these different churches without any communication between them. But James is one of them that was kind of iffy. Yeah. So... Mm. Well, in that that pretty decent book, Ephesians. <laughs> uh, although I, I I do have to say I one time witnessed the demon of nail biting being cast out of a girl. Oh, thank uh, goodness! Just, it was thank goodness. It was a good day at the end of the day. Yeah. So, um, in chapter one or verse one, it says, "You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived." And so, uh, we see a role of the enemy here, as far as being uh, an influencer, uh, someone who does have some kind of authority or influence over the the world system in which we live. Uh, now, do I think I have ever been personally tempted by Satan himself? I don't think I'm that important. Uh, Seth, maybe. Seth, maybe. <laughs> His dad, Destin, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> Destin gets a shout out in the podcast. <laughs> and, uh, and later on in the book, he, he in chapter six, we're all familiar with it. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers, spiritual forces, yeah. of wickedness. Um, and so, I mean, it's, it's definitely something that's real, but it's interesting that in chapter six, when Paul is saying, Hey, the, this is who we're fighting against. He never mentions them again. Rather, he turns the attention toward what is God's provision for us. Yeah. Good. Uh, yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but I see the greatest influence that Satan has in this world is people trying to be good without God. Mm. No. Yeah. Yeah. Satan being an angel of light, people would like to think that they can be good without God. That's actually the main conversation you have with atheists um, is a conversation about morality. Where did it come from? Right. Why does it exist? But with Satan being the accuser, um, he would love for this world to think that it can be good without God, without his work. Yeah. So that's good. Uh, so first Peter five, eight commands Christians be sober minded and alert. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, mm-hmm. which sounds like a big deal. Yeah. Right? I, I think as, especially as reform believers, we can we can really minimize some of these things 
that's pretty serious. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the devouring of people mm-hmm. is, a, and it's not a literal eating. That would be much easier. <laughs> right. If there was a literal lion outside, we'd be like, come inside. This <laughs> is better. But it's exactly what Seth was just saying. The devil has convinced the world, number one, that he doesn't exist. And number two, that they don't need God. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it is literally, literally eating people, devouring people, mm-hmm. swallowing them whole into hell as they go willingly going, there is no Satan mm-hmm. and I don't need a God. Yep. yep. That's why yeah. I hate the title influencer with social media. Wait, oh, yeah. let me rephrase that. That's why I hate social media. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Good yes. clarification. <laughs> so. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, Liam and I actually just last night had about a half hour conversation over that passage because uh, okay. we were talking about how it about Satan being a lion uh, because it, I thought it was interesting that also in the book of Proverbs it says that a fool hears that there's a lion in the street and says there is no lion and goes out into the street hmm. and you know whether God meant for there to be some parallel I don't know yeah but it is interesting that. It is the fool, and in, in Proverbs, the fool isn't a stupid person. It's somebody who is morally deficient. Uh, the fool says, eh, there's no lion. And he goes out in the street, and there's the enemy. Yeah. Whatever the parallel is, uh, you find in Scripture, lions are scary and dangerous mm-hmm. and can kill you. Yes. I mean, that that's the parallel yep. you find throughout. So by the time Peter comes around to using that as an illustration— Lions are scary and dangerous <laughs> and can kill you. Yes. And that, that's the thing he chooses to say, this is a representation of our mortal enemy. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think it's important as we acknowledge that most of what masquerades as dealing with the demonic or, uh, you know, casting out demons or, you know, somebody who, who's just really into that, I believe is absolutely fraudulent. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I think the vast majority of it is psychosomatic. We won't even go down that road where we've convinced people. Here's the problem. You're not actually at fault for your sin, mm-hmm. right? You can blame somebody else. In fact, the yeah. devil is a great scapegoat for this. Let's blame the devil for it. And rather yeah. than you repenting of your sin, let's just cast out the demon of nail biting. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And at the same time, uh, I know for me, I had... I had a gift when I was young of just being able to lie proficiently, <laughs> lie to teachers, lie to parents, lie to friends, lie to, you know, lie to anybody. Uh, and, you know, scripture is going to be pretty clear that Satan is the father of lies, that everything that he says is a lie. And, you know, that, that influence, which that influencer thing is just a terrible title. <laughs> I know. Um, I hate it. It, which I think is actually more of what happens. It's less about possession, like we, we tend to think as if it's yeah. some Catholic movie, yep. uh, like The Exorcist that we're watching. Uh, it's an influencer position uh, yeah. where he is influencing. He's, he's affecting what we think about, what we meditate on, where, where mm-hmm. our hearts are drawn towards. And I remember my parents sitting me down at the table one day and confronting me over some lie thing. And they're like, are you aware that you lie all the time? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you don't want to admit it when you're like, whatever, mm-hmm. middle school or something, early high school. And um, so like you do the obligatory confession of whatever sin you've been caught in. And, you know, I'm real mm-hmm. sorry. I won't do it again. And we're sitting around the table. I, I had a great 
model of what it looked like to call your kids to repentance. Then you pray with them and you know, you love on them. And so they prayed for me while they're praying for me. Dad launches into like rebuking a spirit of lying. And I'm like, okay, well, I mean, that's clearly not what's going on. I just, I'm just really good at this. And we get done praying. And my mom goes, did you do that on purpose? Like, what are you talking about? She's like, as soon as your dad started praying for you about the spirit of lying, your mouth started going, blah, 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 just moving super fast. And I'm like, no, but that's weird. <laughs> like, uh, and since that day, I'm terrible at lying. Like ask my wife if I try and say something like to be funny and misleading, I get this weird goofy smirk on one side of my face. And my kids are like, no, he's lying. Even, even Aiden's fiance, Melina, is to the place where she's like, no, that's just Matt. (laughs) There, there is something now that that's sort of, uh, anecdotal, right? Mm -hmm. But there is something of a power that Satan still has an influence that he has in this world. Mm -hmm. And we dare not take that lightly or dismiss that as charismania. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And yet here's the remedy. James four, seven Submit yourselves then to God, resist mm-hmm. the devil, and he will flee from you. Yes. Mm-hmm. It, it's not in the power of us having all the right words and prayers and declarations and three-hour shouting matches with the prince of darkness commanding, you know, <laughs> tell me your name, demon, because we watched one too many exorcist movies. <laughs> you know, we're expecting the green pea soup any moment. Yes. Uh, no, it's, <laughs> it's really clear that the power is in God. Uh, yep. When Jesus comes face to face with Satan, when he's being tempted in the wilderness, uh, he speaks the word of God and then get away from me. Yep. That's the end of it. Yep. <laughs> we, we submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from yeah. you. In the book of Jude, when he's talking about when Michael and the devil were arguing, uh, it says Michael didn't stand there arguing and railing against the devil. He said, the Lord rebuke you. Yeah. And hmm. there we go. Yeah. <laughs> The power is in Christ and not in us. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's not a bad principle to apply to all of life. The power is in Christ and not in us. Yes. And then you just shout, the power of Christ compels you. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to slip that video in here? Oh, man. I'm <laughs> yes, sorry, everybody. Yes. Okay. <laughs> all right. So <laughs> let's persevere through that. Uh, so Jesus is talking uh, in the text about Satan being this enemy, us living in a crooked, perverse world that hates you, that the logical thing is that we would sort of pull back from that, retreat from that, uh, even expecting that God may pull his people back from that. And Jesus mm-hmm. prays, intercedes, Father, please don't do that. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? Why do you think... Jesus immediately goes to Father, I'm not asking you to take them out of this world. Preserve them in it. Preserve them from the evil one. Why do you think he does that? And then why do you think we feel that tendency towards retreat? Well, he said earlier that we are the salt of the earth. Uh, Not that we should be or can be or will be, but, but are. Um, and salt being that, that thing that preserves. Uh, 
So I think part of it is that we are not he we're not to remove ourselves from the world because it is as the Holy Spirit works in and through His church that there is any restraint upon mankind. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that that might be one reason. Yeah, good. Hmm. Any thoughts there, Seth? Yeah, I was going to ask you. So do we resist the devil, or does the Father keep the evil one from us? Or is that just a paradox? Yes. The answer is <laughs> yes. Yeah, definitely not an either-or, since mm-hmm. uh, we are shown both of them in Scripture, yeah. that Christians yeah. have an obligation to resist the devil uh, by submitting ourselves to God, mm-hmm. trusting that it's actually God who will mm-hmm. rebuke the enemy and... Then he will flee from us. Mm-hmm. And I think it's Philippians 2 that it says, who, It is God who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Uh, so when it says he works in us both to will and to work or to do good, uh, he's giving us both the desire and the, the power to do what he calls us to do. Mm-hmm. So he protects us, gives us the responsibility to resist, but then gives us the power and the desire to resist. So even in our resisting, it's all him. Yeah. Yeah. He's the one who gives us the desire and yeah. the power to resist. Mm-hmm. It's interesting when you think about this in particular. I mean, we tend to uh, reduce it into minute areas of the Christian life. Um, but when you think about the broader spectrum of the church and church history, where individual Christians and even denominations have said, we're going to go into a very dark and dangerous place for the sake of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And we're willing to pay even the ultimate price of laying down their lives for the sake of the gospel. And the pattern that we find there is if they refuse to go, those people never hear the good news. Mm. And Christians have said, it's actually so important. The reason we're here is missional. It, we mm-hmm. can't just sit in our own little group and say, "Oh, isn't this better?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, we've been called to go into the midst of what is dark and dangerous mm-hmm. for the sake of the gospel. Yeah, the attitude of missions is not the world's definition of sober-mindedness. We have to have God's yeah. definition of sober-mindedness. Talk about that a little bit. What, what do you have in mind when you say that? Well, the world definitely doesn't want to lay down their life for someone else. Yeah. Hmm. Um, in fact, they'd probably look at that and go, that's not sober-minded. No, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I'm totally saying. They, yeah, they would say that you're, I don't know, crazy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, a fool for wanting to lay down your life. But it's, it's foolish to not want to lay down your life because we only get the authority to lay down one life, and that's to give up our life for Christ. And that's the only death that we get to take part in that we have the authority to take part in is dying to ourselves. Yeah. And so to be sober minded is to recognize all this work we're talking about that Christ has done in us. And the only way to resist the devil is to die to ourselves. He wants us to Mm -hmm. pursue our own pleasures Yeah. to deny Christ for the sake of our pleasure. That's fleeting. Yep. Pursue your own joy, your own Mm -hmm. happiness, your own safety. And when we import that into the church, man, and we have done that, 
Mm-hmm. Well, the mm-hmm. church becomes one more safe space, yep. uh, one more yeah. place where there's no there's no judgment. No one makes you feel like how can you how can you say that to me? I thought this was a church. <laughs> you yep. have no mm-hmm. idea how many times people have said that. Yeah, and it, what they're saying is. I have that world mindset superimposed on the church. And Jesus said, here's what the church looks like. Take up your cross and follow me. Mm-hmm. Lay down your life for the sake of the gospel, whether that means putting sin to death or uh, putting your own wants and desires and comfort to death that you might love your wife and children more effectively as mm-hmm. a guy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or you know, a myriad of other things of going to unreached people groups for the sake of the gospel. Like those are those are God honoring things, but those two yeah. worldviews stand in opposition to each other. Yeah, and yeah. one says you're crazy if you do the do that, and the other says uh, the highest good is not my comfort and safety. The highest good is the glory of the name of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. that He might be praised in every corner of the earth. Yeah, to not do that is crazy. Yeah, yep. That's why biblical sober mindedness is realizing we're a blip. Yeah, in light of eternity. Mm-hmm. And that we have to be alert because of that. Yeah. Yeah. So as David said in Psalms, uh, oh, how's it? Give me a heart of wisdom, O Lord, that I may know how to number my days. Yeah. Yeah. Let me know my I am a blip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Give me some wisdom, Lord. I remember, um, oh, several years ago, uh, and I don't say this to throw my saintly grandfather under the bus. He's in glory right now and <laughs> all is perfectly clear. Right. Yes. Um, but when he passed away, I inherited his filing cabinet that had all of his old college notes and some sermon notes in it. And just reading through and found a thing that he wrote in graduate school of talking about the experience of life and living with other people. And he talked about living not keep in mind, this was, two generations ago, Mm -hmm. living in a segregated community or an integrated community. Mm. And he's like, I really liked the segregated community a lot more. I lived in an integrated community. Mm. I didn't like it. I I prefer living in a segregated community. Mm. It's much more peaceful. and, And I'm like, what kind of racist, crazy person was my grandfather? And I, it didn't make any sense. He, he served as a, uh, he was he was a Mennonite pastor, but he was also a prison chaplain at Michigan City, uh, which is a maximum security prison. And he worked with white, black, brown, pink, purple, polka dotted like everybody. And uh, it was worked with the guys would bring them back to his house. And he had a, a little halfway house right outside mm. and uh, convicted rapists and murderers and you name mm. it. Uh, would have Christmas and birthdays with us because they were just part of the family. And I'm like, there is no way. There's no way my grandpa was a racist. Well, as I read on, what it was was he had lived in a segregated Mennonite community where it's just Mennonites. Mm. And then he lived in a community that was integrated with other denominations and other mostly Uh. Christians in this small town. But he really liked when it was just his little Mennonite community. (laughs) Now, this was him as a young man writing, mm-hmm. right? So he was going to get really seasoned by life. And he was one of the best examples, and I'm nowhere near, of just loving people no matter what and mm-hmm. offering them the grace and kindness of God. Mm-hmm. Man, it, he was a saint when it came to that. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not anywhere near it. But even in that, we see this tendency to go, well, it's better if I can just get in this little pod. 
Mm-hmm. This little safe space. Yeah. That, that word didn't even exist back then. <laughs> no. <clears throat> but that's what it was aiming at. But Jesus said that's not actually the thing that sets you apart. It's not what preserves you. It's not what makes you holy. He's going to say, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Yes. Mm-hmm. So not, how, not our opinions. Not our opinions oh. about <laughs> truth. Uh, not our application. Back to what we said earlier. Yeah. This is how you should live out truth, mm-hmm. where we, mm-hmm. we get real specific on, man, churches are really good at this. We just pigeonhole and so it should look like this and this and this. And if you do it like this, you're out. Or, you know, mm-hmm. if you don't dress like this, you're out. I mean, we see that lived out around us all the yeah. time. Jesus says, it's the word of God that is truth. It's the word of God that sanctifies his people. Mm-hmm. So how is, how is that? How does that work in the life of the believer? We only got like 10 minutes left. So maybe just real quick on this one. Well, Seth, what do you think? Um, well, I know specifically referring back to what you said about getting towards unity in the church, him being in a segregated community, we see that in our churches as well Yeah, amongst believers yep. where people get in little pockets and we, we might have one limb organized or unified, right? but it takes two hands to swing an ax most times. So you can't accomplish much if your limbs are disorganized or not unified in yeah. Christ. Yeah. Um, so if we're just joining in our little pocket within the church, now we look down on him because he said it out loud. Yeah. Right? yeah. Uh, but then uh, we, we say, hey, thanks for coming, everybody. You're dismissed. And we immediately clump up into our little pockets yeah. where mm-hmm. this little pocket is just a right arm. Yeah. And then on the mm-hmm. other side of the church, it's a left arm. Yeah. And then there's a leg over here, a torso over there. Yep. And we don't really get along with the torsos too well. No. Well, if you're just one limb, just one arm, you can't actually do anything. Yep. You yeah. can't swing the axe effectively. Yeah, I would say a dismembered body is not a great symbol for life. No, in fact, it's kind of terrifying. <laughs> no matter who you are, a dismembered body is just terrifying. <laughs> yes. And yet, how, how often does a church look like that? Mm-hmm. We have to be fighting to be the body of Christ. Yeah. Where our unity isn't in our similarity, it's yep. in the joining of Christ. Where we've been sanctified by his word, adopted into his family, and then joined with each other. Mm-hmm. Man, I feel like we just keep ringing that bell, but yep. that, is, that is the mark of the church. Yes. And I... Mm-hmm. love it and hate it because it'd be way easier <laughs> if it would be like here's the dress code cha-ching yes <laughs> yeah here's the our list of do's and don'ts it just would make things really easy mm-hmm. being under the law sometimes might be easier the law is yeah. now we can't live up to it right which is that's the terrible part <laughs> yeah we all we all get to go to hell fantastic yeah mm-hmm. uh but that that's a lot easier to implement than a, a grace-driven model of being adopted into Christ, sanctified mm-hmm. by his word, and then just joined yes. as living stones that none of them look alike or think alike or act alike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of my friends used to always say that grace demands more than the law ever commanded, but grace gives us the ability to rise up to the demand. Yeah. Uh, and just looking at that, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth, and that word sanctify, as we talked about earlier, as you mentioned Sunday, meaning set apart, and then how we were talking earlier about how we've kind of made the Bible more of a 
self-help, live your best life now manual with the purpose of the word of God primarily to point us to Jesus. The more you get to know somebody who is of infinite worth, infinite value, infinite worthy of infinite worship, the more you get to know that person, Christ, the more drawn to him you will be. And the more drawn away from the things that are not like him, mm-hmm. you will be. And so the church, yeah, the unity in the church is when we quit using the Bible as reading and first saying, how does it apply to me? As we're each one of us drawn up into who Christ is. I mean, the we've all seen that, that illustration of the triangle that you've got two people at the two bottom and Christ at the top, and as they're both moving towards Christ, they're naturally getting closer to one another. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, to me, that's the perfect picture of sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. That is, we use the word of God for it, what it's meant to be. Draw, point us to, draw us to Jesus. The more each one of us are more drawn to Jesus, the further we'll be drawn from the world, and also the further toward one another we'll be drawn. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. So talking about that today, a guy at my work who I've discipled mentioned to me, he came and helped me dig a hole in my yard. Essentially, I had septic issues. And uh, I'll just say a local business owner knew I needed help, and he showed up with an excavator and dug the hole for me, and we were able to fix it in one day. And I had to ha- I had to list my house the next day. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so when he seen that, he was shocked, the guy from my work. Right. And he said, I, I didn't know the church operated like this. Yeah. Because the local business owner is a Christian. Yeah. Part of the church. Yes, he is. Yeah. Um, and there's no other part of this world where someone that busy, it makes sense for them to come and give me help. Yeah. There's no other part of the world where that makes sense. So... But yeah, the our, the unity in the church is what ultimately shows the world the Father's love. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I would say without having a unified church, we're not able to properly show the world love. Right. And love, take them in and love them, like you were saying right. about your grandfather. Yeah. So. Which is, it, it's awesome to me when I think about the example that's been left there of somebody who maybe started out in a really sheltered, small Mennonite community that I would have all kinds of theological Mm -hmm. issues with. And then as God matured and progressed him, by the time he reaches retirement, he's just invested in hundreds and thousands of people who the rest of the world, myself included, have just given up on. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mm -hmm. all kinds of personal risk and hardship for the sake of the gospel, that, that I might have an opportunity to share the gospel with them, which is uh, the end of this. Jesus has said the world hates them because they're not of the world, just like I'm not of the world. And in verse 18, he says, and yet as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Mm-hmm. And that that's, I was going to say that's the landing pad, but it's not. It's the launch pad hmm. where God sanctifies his people. Mm-hmm. He then unifies his people together mm-hmm. that he might, scatter them, shoot them into the world for the sake of his great name. Mm -hmm. And it, man, if we fail to do that, if we think the Christian life is all about retreating and, you know, moving to the cabin in Montana, (laughs) we just, we miss entirely 
the beauty of mm-hmm. going for the sake of the gospel. Yes. And that, that whole, you know, how beautiful are the feet of them who bring good news, mm-hmm. which is gross because feet are disgusting, <laughs> right? So if something that's disgusting can be beautiful, mm-hmm. it's because they're bearing good news. They're, they're yes. carrying the gospel uh, to every corner of the earth. Yeah. Yep. I think it's just a great image. Yeah. And that scattering doesn't stop until all peoples are unified. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. Any closing thoughts, guys? Well, Seth, I'm glad you're able to sit in with us. Yeah, thank you. Fun having you yeah, here. Uh, John, do you have anything exciting going on tomorrow? Yes. Um, anything uh, people can volunteer to help with? <laughs> if they want to help with my uh, knee surgery, if they want to bring maybe a Leatherman or yes. a sledgehammer. Yes. Uh, There's be... a DeWalt screw gun in the next room. <laughs> I won't even have to go tomorrow if we just do it right now. Seth's got some skills. <laughs> as long as we've got the camera running, we might as well... Uh... <laughs> I don't know if you want me doing it. I shot my thumb today. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'll just plan on the surgeon tomorrow. So knee surgery tomorrow. Yes, knee surgery tomorrow. Now it's just a meniscus tear. So it's going to go in and give me a trim. Uh, Something I haven't had in a long time. Yeah. So (laughs) uh, I was rubbing my head. For those of you, (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm still getting used to the facts. We've made John sensitive (laughs) about uh, just waving at the camera. So now he's thinking, wait, they couldn't see what I did. See what I did. He was rubbing his legs. He was rubbing his legs. He hasn't shaved his legs in a long long time. time. I think that's true. That that is true. Not since high school. So. Uh, that is a story for another day. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I got knee surgery tomorrow. Just uh, meniscus, arthroscopic. I should be up and running in no time. Yeah, good. Well, so. maybe just remember to be praying for him. And yes. Uh, pray that God brings a quick healing. Mm-hmm. Yes. So other than that, I think we'll maybe just leave her there and remind people that this Sunday... Like just in case you made it 57 minutes and 40 seconds into this podcast and didn't quit after the first 10, uh, this Sunday we are meeting outside. So church outside, bring a lawn chair with you, uh, bring something for the carry in and just enjoy some time of fellowship. Yep. So till we see you then, God bless. God bless.